Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the Radar to me means authenticity, not being filtered. It's a window in on the local stories that touch our lives. And there's a huge void in the traditional media covering this new faces of Boston. You may not be looking for a particular story, but when you hear about it, you're engaged. Under the radar means ahead of the curve. It's also perspectives. How does this particular story affect a community or a neighborhood? I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, the death of the East-West Rail proposal, and will we be saying goodbye to Chelsea's iconic water tower? Later in the show, our food and wine gurus tell us what to eat and drink this summer and break down how to find a great lobster roll. But first, joining me in the studio, Seth Daniel, senior reporter for the Independent News Group, which includes the Revere Journal and the Everett Independent. Welcome back, Seth. Thank you for having me, Callie. Glad to have you. And joining me from the Massachusetts State House, Mike Dean, State House reporter for WGBH News. Hello again, Mike. Hey, Callie. Well, we got a lot of meaty stuff to talk about. I am so interested in a proposal, Seth, by mm-hmm. some, the South Enders, yeah. are looking to Shattuck Hospital Shattuck. as a place of an opioid recovery campus. Yes. Now, first, got to tell people where Shattuck is <laughs> and why are these particular people, the folks living in the South End, very mm-hmm. interested in supporting this as a proposal? Well, number one, the, the opiate epidemic is ground zero right there in the South End, and we've talked about that before, near like Boston City Hospital, Boston Medical center now and it's this summer um, it has gotten worse everybody said last summer was as bad as it could get so far this year it's it's even worse um, now, what do you mean by that when you say it's gotten worse oh yeah very good mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. well what, what I mean by getting worse is that very visible people using hypodermic needles right on the street um, a lot of overdoses right on the street on your steps sometimes you have needles. Um, one street said they, they find about 20 a week, and this is in their bushes, in their flowers. Um, they're constantly barraged by people passing out. It's human carnage. It's, it's the worst part of the opiate epidemic, and it's right there. And, and not that you would want to have this in any neighborhood, but no. just to be clear, this is a very pricey neighborhood we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. is the Worcester Square area of the South End. It is pricey. It's very nice. It's beautiful. But it's marked um, in real estate circles, as they say, with um, a dot saying, guess what? <laughs> Expect this when you move in. And people kind of shy away from it, as residents have told me. That's what's there. But there's also a lot of reason that people are there who are in the throes of the opiate epidemic are because there's so many services there. Methadone clinics, the homeless shelters, the hospital. There's, there's everything there. Um, and, and a lot of them are coming there. And a lot of drug activity as well that draws them. And so the South End has basically said, there's too much here. We need to have more elsewhere. And and, um, in the background of all this is the Long Island shelter and the bridge being closed a couple of years ago. So to get things out of the South End, they thought about Shattuck Hospital. And Shattuck Hospital, you ask, where is that? Mm -hmm. I I really couldn't. (laughs) It is. it's, It's been there for a long time. It is in Franklin Park, closest to Jamaica Plain, like on the Forest Hills side. It's a hospital for indigent people. A lot of times the homeless are cared for there. I'm, I'm not sure what other things they do, but the good thing is it's state-owned property. It's not city-owned. 
it's vastly underutilized and it's very remote. Um, like you said, you don't know where it is. So. Right. <laughs> um, it's very remote, but it's very easy to get to. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's on the orange line, easy access, plenty of parking, um, all, all of those things. And some providers already provide services out there like the Pine Street Inn. So the idea is to, that Massachusetts could really innovate and take this you know, by the horns and really create a campus where all of these services are centralized and everybody is on the same page. Right now, like many nonprofit and human services things, everybody's in their own sphere doing a lot of great work, but nobody's coordinating. And this would be the coordinating center. Um, Steve Fox at the South End Forum calls it the mothership. <laughs> this mm. would be the mothership of such services. And just a place where, you know, you could have treatment, research, innovation, you know, nonprofits coordinated and everybody um, in the same place. And, and there's a lot of room. One building is vacant. Um, we're talking wow. about a 10-story building. Wow. And the state owns it. So it's just sort of been put out there recently that this could be an answer. Um, this could get people into a secluded place right now. I mean, in the south end right there, I mean, it's concrete, it's asphalt, it's right. hospital, it's not a leafy green <laughs> area where you, that's secluded at all. Well, I think one of the best things you've said about it is it's already a hospital because yeah. we should note a couple of things. First of all, the people in the community who are concerned about what they might describe as an overabundance of services in their neighborhood have really tried not to be the NIMBY people. Yes. You know, they really don't want to be those people saying, we know people need help, but don't help them in our neighborhood. Yeah. So this seems to suggest a kind of threshold issue where it's got yeah. to the point where they feel like, how can we help people and, and can we come up with a creative solution? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that is an important point is that they've been very accommodating. Even all of the occurrences that happen on their property and things that um, you know, are really unspeakable, they've really wanted to help. They call 911. They go out with water to help somebody. You know, They even have task forces to try to help on mm -hmm. volunteer time. But it's got to the point now where maybe they think it can't be done here. Well, the second thing I wanted to point out is that some of those services, certainly related to um, the hospitals over there, have are expert in these treatments. And they have worked very hard to come up with services that actually draw mm -hmm. a lot of that client into the facility so they're not on the streets. Yeah. And they're working very hard to get people treated and work against the stigma. So I want to put that on the table as well. Oh, yeah. That's my guest, uh, Seth Daniel. He is a senior reporter for the Independent News Group. Now, Mike Dean, State House reporter for WGBH News, how could this work in terms of anything actually happening where people could, you know, we got a facility, it's state run, you're up there with the people who make these decisions in the State House. This seems like something that ought to be considered in some serious way. Yeah, it sounds like a very big proposal. Um, what, really, when we're dealing with opiate treatment on the state level, it's all coming down to funding and the availability of beds. This recent budget that the governor just signed the other day, it adds an, only an additional 45 beds. Last year's budget, another 45 beds. I think those are both at the uh, state hospital in Taunton. That's where most of the state opiate treatment has been going on right now. To do something in Boston like this, a far more metro area, would be a big undertaking. Like you said, to get all those services under one roof at Shattuck like this, it would take an awful lot of state reorganization to pull that kind of thing off and probably a lot more funding to get it up to the point where it could be effective. Another thing I would like to look at is how does Jamaica Plain and the Forest Hills neighborhood feel about that? If you want you know, nimbyism 
kind of pops up everywhere it goes. And if one neighborhood gets dissatisfied with what's going on in, in their neck of the woods and you move it to another one, you'll have the same complaints all over again. Well, you um, could, but to Seth's, the point of his story is that its location is such that even though it's readily accessible by public transportation, it's not in the mainstream of mm-hmm. the neighborhood. So there would, I think, be less of that. I mean, they already have a hospital sure. that is dedicated to caring for an indigent population. So that's generally not a population where other people in other neighborhoods are running saying, yes, put one here. Mm-hmm. And that's not turned out to be an issue. And I would also imagine that instead of anything happening all at once, that if you moved one major service over there and then built toward whatever the larger plan is, then that might have a better shot of working. What would you say to that? And it's 227 I, beds there, by the way. I just want to point that out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it is, it's a public health-oriented hospital. Like I said, it's been operating for quite a while. And um, if you've ever been by it, it is quite a nice campus location inside Franklin Park, like you said, Seth. Mm-hmm. You'll see, actually, they'll take um, some of the patients out over to the, you know, the pond in the park, and they walk, and they use the grounds of the park quite mm-hmm. often, um, I've noticed. In, in, again, it's really quite close to the um, Forest Hills, but it really just comes down to money. Obviously, the, the state budget has been crunched for years now, and just scratching up to enough money to get reliable opiate treatments. When, you know, when they only add 45 beds, it's because they are adding a definite 45 permanent beds you know, that should be funded going forward, right. uh, not you know, 100 here that are gone the next year, that kind of thing. So these are definitely changes and to, to fill up the services that are really needed or, or that that building has the capacity for would take a reorientation of where the state house is at with their spending. Now, I can tell you that the new House Ways and Means chairman, which is one of the key budget writers on the state level, is uh, Jeffrey Sanchez, who's right. from Jamaica Plain. Wow. Most lawmakers here definitely have a handle on the opiate epidemic. They Even if uh, their own communities don't necessarily have it, it's basically touched every community at this point. Right. But, you know, this is Sanchez is in JP. I don't think he has that part of JP uh, mm-hmm. in his house district, but he's definitely uh, close and, and understands the community in, mm. in a big way. And he was also the public health chairman before he was, uh, you know, this last chair he had. So he's very, very familiar with this kind of thing. And I'll probably ask him about it next week. Yeah, that's, I think uh, I'd be interested to hear what he has to say. Well, to put a button on this, back in the day, I was told that when first beginning to work, that the best way to approach your boss with a problem is if you have a solution. Might not be the solution in the end, but to come to the table with something. So this group of folks coming together with a plan Mm -hmm. that makes some sense on many levels, got to give it some serious thought, it seems to me. So um, I'll be interested to see what uh, Jeffrey Sanchez has to say about it when you talk to him, Mike. All right. So, Mike, since we're talking about Franklin Park, really tragic thing, vandals trashed the tennis club, which is located there in the the tennis club has been a site of a camp, pretty well-known camp, actually, mm-hmm. training a lot of kids for tennis um, who wouldn't have otherwise have the opportunity. This sustained $20,000 in damage. This is the Sportsman Tennis and Enrichment Center on Blue Hill Avenue. So right. what's going to happen here? I mean, this is bad. It is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we know what's going to happen here yet. It's still kind of playing out. This only happened um, you know, a few days ago. This was reported, I guess, you know, staff from the uh, Sportsman Tennis Enrichment Center showed up for work 
and they noticed that some of the uh, barbecue equipment outside had been kind of knocked over and tipped over. And CBS WBZ did some great reporting on this this week. And they came in and they saw that they'd actually broken into some of the supply areas, gotten paint cans, and then kind of strewed the paint all along the outdoor tennis courts. Uh, now, this is a, a mainly a tennis facility, so taking those offline and getting you know paint off the things is going to cost quite a bit. And it, it is just a shame. And you're right, it is right by uh, Harambe Park, which is adjacent to Franklin Park on uh, Blue Hill Avenue. And the folks at that tennis center spend a lot of time during the year raising money for this camp to give kids an opportunity to, you know, really learn something from folks who really know the sport and have the space to do it. And this is now confining them to only certain areas, which just breaks my heart. Who would do this? I, you know, I, I know no. we're asking a rhetorical question. It's crazy, but... It just makes me so angry. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is a shame. But maybe there is a silver lining in their ability to fundraise. Like you said, it's an organization that has done very well um, You know, getting people to open their checkbooks and getting these programs. It's a pretty unique program, just having this much kind of tennis focused in an urban area like this. Maybe they can contact their network and get that 20000 so they can definitely regroup for uh, the rest of the summer. Well, I hope it's 20000 and more. We'll, we'll see mm-hmm. how it happens. All right, back to you, Seth. Wow, they're just taking apart Chelsea in terms of (laughs) all of the fixtures, all of the buildings that are true to Chelsea, that represent Chelsea, that are iconic. And now we're talking about the water tower. Yes, talking about Chelsea, but I have a feeling this is sort of one of those things that's all all around Boston right now. And it's, it's the old Boston or old Chelsea, and it's confronted with, you know, the wave of new stuff that's coming. And we did talk about the Chelsea Clock Building. Um, it's still standing, but slated for demolition. Um, you know, that's something that's been there since the 1800s. And, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a milestone. It's a place for Chelsea people, um, even if they've never been in it. The How water about other tower. people who recognize Chelsea because of it? Yeah, no, the yeah. water tower. I mean, it's, yeah. we're talking about the red and white checkered tower. It says Soldier's Home. So it's mm-hmm. the Chelsea Soldier's Home. And the tower is, it used to be used for water pressure. It's no longer functional. But it was left there about five, six years ago when they took it offline, because it's a symbol. It's so iconic. Everybody, you can see it for miles around. And it says, we're in Chelsea. And Chelsea people, whether they live there now or they grew up there and they haven't been there for 30 years, it's this is their symbol. This is tells them they're at home. In fact, one guy wrote in saying, when I come in on the airplane for my yearly visit, I see the tower and I know I'm home. Mm. And um, it's a rock and a hard place type of thing because they're not just taking it down indiscriminately. Um, they're actually taking it down to provide better services for senior citizen veterans. They're going to build a brand new living center up there at the soldier's home. And it's much nicer. It's going to give them the standard of care they've needed for decades that they're not getting. But one of the things is they have to knock this tower down to accommodate the bigger building. And this was just revealed a couple of weeks ago by the state, um, one of the alphabet organizations, uh, DCAM, they call it. Um, I wouldn't get into what that yeah, stands listen, for. Yeah, let's <laughs> yeah, not go down the wall. Yeah, way. they're the one. But they, <laughs> they have to take it down. And, and they, to their credit, they want to do something to try to be sensitive to the fact that this is happening. But there are no ideas yet as to what that might be. There's been a few things floated. Some people say an American flag. But, you know, an American flag is great, but it doesn't say anything about Chelsea. So people are in a conundrum, and and since the news came out um, a couple of weeks ago in our paper, um, there was immediately uh, an online petition, and um, it has almost 700 signatures by now. The goal is 1,000. The goal is 1,000, and Mm -hmm. and they're well on their way. Um, And everybody signs it, and and there's been a lot of these petitions Mm -hmm. online. It just puts a person's name. Everybody on this has a statement, and it's usually three or four sentences 
about growing up there, remembering it, or about being there now. And um, this is our symbol. You can't take it down. But it's another part of uh, old Chelsea or old Boston that you find uh, gone by the wayside. Well, I'm going to ask a question, and, and because it's uh, born out of complete ignorance, I'm sure there are people driving in their cars right now who are builders who are screaming, because you don't know anything, but okay. Yeah. Why in these situations mm-hmm. can't the iconic part of it be preserved and you build from that? You know what you're trying to make. Okay, this is a, a valuable place we need. It needs updating. Mm-hmm. These people need services. But I have been to other cities where the piece or the thing that was iconic gets preserved or built around. I just don't understand why that can't happen. Yeah, (laughs) it it may very well end up happening given the outcry right now. Um, They are going to have a public meeting in August. I anticipate that that's going to be heavily attended. And um, they're very preliminary plans. They may end up, you know, figuring out a way naturally, but... I know that in their initial plans that they filed, they, they didn't feel like there was a way. Maybe they just sitting at the state house drawing up plans underestimated how important this tower was to the people and, and, and such. So. Or uh, figuring that, and it does it makes sense, Mike, when you think about it, that people would say, well, wh- well, hey, if the result is that we're going to get a new facility to care for senior veterans, hello, and yeah. we want to do that. And I get that, right? But um mm-hmm. Right, it doesn't right. seem to me to have to be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you that I, this is in um, Governor Baker's capital spending plan for the next mm-hmm. few years. It's a, it's a major piece of it. He actually announced his whole capital budget at the Chelsea Soldiers Home in May, I believe. And this Soldiers Home project really was the cornerstone of his big capital spending going forward. And in the couple of days I spent reporting that story, no one mentioned this tower Wow. Uh, to, to me. So I guess, yeah, this is kind of something that wasn't anticipated, but, uh, you know, un- Unanticipated wrinkles in spending plans usually mean more spending. So, mm. you know, they have uh, they basically it's an eight million dollar down payment now, but it's going to be something like two hundred million dollars when it's all said and done. They want it to be done by about twenty twenty, I think. Yeah. And uh, everyone's really jazzed about you know, like Seth said, the the new treatment facility for soldiers or elderly veterans. But you know, is the price tag going to climb from two hundred million to two hundred twenty million so that we can save this water tower or in some way the aesthetics? of it. And I understand the importance to a lot of people. But um, I think when it comes to the minds of these budget writers and what the bottom line is, is in the Baker administration, I don't know how much cachet the look of this tower and the aesthetic is going to have there. Well, I got two things to say about that, Mike Dean. (laughs) (laughs) One is, does the governor, when he runs for office again, want those ads that say, he says he's about family and community. Really? This is what he tore down in order <laughs> yeah. to make sure. There's going to be an ad that says Charlie Baker tore yeah. down the I tower. Think, exactly. I, think, no. I think I know for a fact that he passes by that tower every day on his way home to Swampscott. Well, there you he go. has mentioned it. So. Well, there you oh, go. Well. So I think that's coming home. And I also want to note that uh, the petition for change.org was started by Chelsea resident Stephanie McCusker. Yes. Um, so she's hmm. on the case. I'm sure she's sending a note to him right now. I'm writing up your ad. <laughs> Yeah. I'll, I'll put I'll put this on my list of things to ask next week. Yes, I'd like to know what the, what the governor is to say. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. I'm speaking with Mike Dean. You just heard him of WGBH News and Seth Daniel of the Independent News Group. We're discussing this week's local news that you may have missed. So back to you, Mike. This secret statehouse negotiations killing the East-West Rail study. I thought this thing was well on its way, and now it's dead again. 
Yeah, well, it's a train, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, go figure. Okay. It's like, um, yeah, this is a, a great story. I, I've been doing a lot on secret budget negotiations, but they've all been pretty above the radar. This one slipped by MassLive.com did a wonderful story. It was by uh, Dan Glon and Gintaris Dumptious, our, our good friend there. Yes. And you know, the, basically the idea is there's a proposal from Senator Eric Lesser for the state to pay for a comprehensive study of the feasibility to get commuter rail trains to run from Boston to Springfield. Let me or, put or, you in pause right there. Yeah. They didn't say build the train. They said do a study. study. Continue. Yes. <laughs> to, to do a proper engineering study, though, is a, a very expensive feat, and uh, it really is the foundation for a lot of these projects. You need a good, decent, provable study that carries a lot of weight in order to then get federal funding. Okay. You, know, you, you can't say to Congress, hey, we need, like, Five billion dollars to build this railroad without a lot of evidence. All right, okay, well, you explain that. Okay, keep going. All right. Uh, so this was going to be in the state budget. It was in the Senate's version of the state budget. It was not in the House's version. When the two compromised, it was left out. And uh, the reporters from Mass Live have been trying to find out why that was, and they really can't get any answers whatsoever from anybody in uh, the legislature to tell them what it is. Lesser, the senator from that area, is uh, getting frustrated because even he doesn't know who pulled the trigger on this thing to get it removed. So they would negotiate this thing in secret. It's anybody's guess. There's only six people really in the room when they make these decisions. So what happened, I guess, is, is Well, the according to this piece, it looks like Peter Pan bus CEO Peter Picknelly might have had something to do with it. And uh, and I was like, why would he care? And then I realized, oh, bus. So he thinks uh, <laughs> yep. this yeah. might impact his transit. <laughs> this is where the good the good reporting from Mass Live comes in. Picknelly has given an awful lot of money to an awful lot of key lawmakers over the years. He says he hasn't really talked to them this year about blocking this study. He has done some work against it in the past. He says he prefers a more comprehensive study that isn't just rail, that would do everything from the Mass Pike and different kinds of and subsidies. And, diff- yeah, oh, and buses. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, it really is the only way to get out there to Western Mass is, yeah. is uh, the Peter Pan bus. I, I went to UMass Amherst. I, I know it very well, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming yeah. back and forth. So, you know, a lot of key lawmakers say they want that broader study. The governor says he prefers it, but um, there's no money for that study either. So mm-hmm. everything's kind of dead in the water at this point. Seth, I'd just say this. Yep. As to in this piece of it is that I'm sort of sorry that for many reasons that the study's not taking place because I think that's a fabulous idea. Mm-hmm. But also, I really think it's going to be one of those situations that's very much like people who read books that they hold in their hands mm-hmm. and go to bookstores and read them on an iBook situation. So you ride a bus and you take a train and mm-hmm. you drive a car. And I like to see some hard line data that says yeah. one is definitely impacted if the other one exists. Yeah, no, I think a study is certainly called for. I remember reading um, about their their efforts to try to get it, and I thought it was a good idea. I'd like to find out, was the ridership there? Um, Like you said, is it going to take cars off the road? Would there be people commuting who are driving? Or just Um, more people will take more more, stuff. Yeah, or, (laughs) you know, know, more of an interest in Western mass. Exactly. I would if it was (laughs) easier to get to, for sure. I think it would be well worth it, even if they shelve it. Exactly. So anyway, I I just think that's very, very, very interesting. This is a quirky story from you, Seth, that I love. (laughs) Okay. Um, Ambassador Walter Carrington, former ambassador, I think, to Nigeria, Mm -hmm. 
I knew him from his ambassadorship, just having met him at various events, but I had no idea he was from Everett. Yeah, there's a lot of people from <laughs> Everett that you just didn't know. I had no clue. I was completely shocked by this. Yeah. So yeah. your piece is a piece about him being the grand marshal of a parade yeah. and his talking about what life was like back in the 30s and 40s, because yeah. he's 86 now. Yes. Yeah, no, he, he's been chosen as the grand marshal. Everett's celebrating their 125th year as a city all year, and this is the crown jewel of that celebration, and he was chosen to lead the parade. And so anyhow, he, he recounted his days in Everett. He says he was shocked when he was picked because he, he loves Everett. He has a great soft spot for it. He's now a Newton resident. But growing up, you think, you know, um, a black man growing up in the 1930s and 40s, you know, who knows? But but his, his experience was described as a racial cocoon. He was the only black family there, right? Well, no, the, well, there, there were, yeah, only there black was, kids um, on his block. He'd say. He was, yeah, yeah, he and his okay. sister are the only yeah. two um, yeah. black kids on their block. They're mostly Italian and Irish, and um, you know the funny thing is, he said he learned how to swear in Italian with a Sicilian accent before he even <laughs> knew how to swear in English, <laughs> which was quite funny, you know, yeah. and that tells you the the experience. And um, you know, he said he went um, in and out of people's houses, great friends with everybody. Um, he didn't even experience the kind of uh, discrimination or racism that you would expect mm. in the 1930s. And he was just saying how Everett prepared him at a time when nobody prepared black men. Yeah. And he's very thankful for it. And he went on to Harvard, obviously. Yeah. yeah. He oversaw the... Uh, Integration of the Red Sox. Like Jackie Robinson. That's yeah, wild. he interviewed Jackie Robinson. Yeah, I didn't know that about him. Um, but yeah, he yeah. Um, he had quite a story, and and his first encounter with understanding that racism was not in his hometown or anything like you might expect was when a football player at Boston College, a, a black running back, who was from Everett and his idol as a kid, um, was left home during the Sugar Bowl in 1941, which was in New Orleans. And they just didn't want to offend people by taking him. And that was when it hit him that, hey, this is different. Well, as I said, I just knew him before his, you know, storied career yeah. as an ambassador. He's very, very well respected. Yes. So, wow, you just, yeah, everybody's credits, from Everett. Look at you. He credits it to Everett. Yeah. That's where it was founded. <laughs> I tell you. Back to you, Mike Dean. This is interesting that some of Norman Rockwell paintings are going to be sold by the Berkshire Museum because they are looking forward. Wow. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story. Uh, I think you know th maybe there's just so many Rockwells uh, out in the Berkshires that uh, they have yes. some to spare. But uh, yeah, this is the uh, the Berkshire Museum, and they're kind of looking to reorient and, and reinvent themselves a little bit and become more of a kind of multidisciplinary education center, I guess you would say. And they have this giant collection of paintings, and they have two Norman Rockwells, and I think they were both used as a subject for the, the cover of the Saturday Evening Post, uh, which, of course, Rockwell's most famous for. They have two great uh, Rockwell painting names. It's Shuffleton's Barbershop and Shaftesbury's Blacksmith Shop, yeah. which I just think are, uh, you know, the most Rockwell things you can possibly imagine. And mm. um, so basically, they want to put the museum in a different direction, and so they are going to build this new endowment. They're looking to get like something like a $60 million endowment built from some of these sales. And so they're going to sell 40 pieces, including these two Rockwells. And the, the most amazing thing about this story is that they could get about 50 million just for these two This paintings. is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> 50 million. At I least. Even... I, I was thinking to myself, they probably could get it all. Yeah. You know, uh, I, it's so the, the story, uh, you know, from uh, Phil Demers, it, it said that Sotheby's uh, sold three Rockwells in 2013 for $57.8 million yeah. uh, total. And, and I, you know, I knew he was famous. I knew these things were in high demand and rare, but 
my God, <laughs> that is yeah. an awful lot of money that will be a boon to this museum. And, and who knows what they can do with something like that. That's remarkable. Well, it's interesting because, as you know, uh, here uh, over at the Rose Museum at Brandeis, you know, they tried to do some sales to take themselves in a different direction. It became a whole thing. So you sort of have to have buy-in from everybody there and decide how you want to weigh your current state versus where you want to be in the future. If two pieces can take you to another place, I bet you Rockwell himself would be approving of that. Yeah. Back to you, Seth Daniels of the Independent News Group. Yep. This water <laughs> shuttle, yeah. I don't know where I've been. I hadn't heard about this water shuttle yep. from Pier 6 to Eastie. Yeah, this is brand new. This is really smart. Yes. Gotta say, please explain. Oh, well, um, <laughs> there's two restaurants, and, and they're very close together but separated by water. So the first one is Pier 6 in Charlestown. The other one is called Real House in East Boston in the new Eddy, which is a hot and trendy place to be on the waterfront. Now, to get there by car, you're talking about probably 45 minutes, if not more, and parking and all the, all the hassles of, of that. But to get there by water, it's five minutes or less. And you wow. get the Boston skyline. You can see the Zakem Bridge. I did it myself. It was beautiful. It was relaxing. And probably, I'm exaggerating with five, it was probably three minutes. Wow. <laughs> and so this goes between, they're, they're owned by the same company, mm-hmm. um, the same restaurateur, Charlie Larner. And uh, that's Navy Yard Hospitality is their company. Mm-hmm. And so they thought, you know, let's let's just connect them by water. And so that's what they did. They've got a, a little boat. And if you want to ride it, just tell them. Obviously, they want their customers to use it. Um, it's also, I believe, open to the public if they want to go across, too. Just curious, what would you be going across to do if you weren't going to the yeah. restaurant? Well, uh, I think that's sort of the, yeah. the, the rub there. I think yeah, you're going to yeah. be going there. But, uh, you know, when I, when I went out and I wrote it, there were um, people from Charlestown who had their plan was to have a drink at Pier 6 oh. and, and take the shuttle over and have dinner at the um, Real House and then come back and then walk back home. And uh, that's, in fact, I believe what they did. (laughs) So it's become quite a hit. In fact, um, the first weekend they had it, it was they can fit 14 at a time per trip. They reach capacity a number of times. They believe that there is much more demand than people ever dreamed of. If, if, you know, you build it, they will come type of thing. And perhaps it can expand. As we know, a lot of the waterfront is so easy to get across and so close, but, you know, can't get there by car. (laughs) Well, Mike, I have to say, I read this and I thought, Genius, genius, genius. I don't know who came up with this, but they need a raise and a bonus yeah. because on so many levels, yeah. first of all, mm. it's something different. It's yep. a little bit trendy. I just get on the boat just to be hip and happening yeah. and I, ride I across. I do have to give credit. <laughs> yeah, City Councilor Salah Matina, who's leaving office yeah. um, after this year, that, this was a big thing of his. And I He think, wanted to do this? Yeah, I think he kind of put the spark in there and they ran with it. They also had the idea. So it's a conglomeration of of government and private sector who put it together, I Well, I mean, Mike, you know, we know, well, I know anyway, nobody wants to sit in the car. No. You are so mad by the time you get to the restaurant, your attitude is not correct. (laughs) No, so, (laughs) I I mean, I'm just going to speak for myself. Yeah, I think short trips anywhere in Boston Harbor are really interesting. I've I've always been interested in, you know, the, the water taxis that you can take to the airport, things like that. And what I love about this is that it's so neighborhood focused, really. 
really just yeah. goes from one similar neighborhood spot across to another kind of similar neighborhood spot. You know, they're higher end restaurants, but they're very much a part of their communities there in both of the sides of the mm-hmm. of the harbor. And it just makes me jealous, you know, living in Dorchester. Why doesn't Marina Bay have, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> UMass you to Marina Bay? That'd be like 10 minutes. It wouldn't even, you know, that would be amazing. Hey, I live in Cambridge, uh, but I'm thinking of just going over there just to ride in between these restaurants yeah. and yeah. check them out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. and, and it just goes to show you how much of Boston's waterfront is still untapped. You can take the ferries out to the Boston Harbor Islands, which, you know, it's it's a less than 20 minutes to the closer ones and about a half hour, 35 minutes to the, the further flung islands. And they're absolutely gorgeous. This is a, a unique idea. It's a, a very small mm-hmm. in scope. Uh, it's privately owned. They definitely have their own business interest in you know shuttling you from their one restaurant to their other restaurant, getting you twice. And uh, you know it, it works on that level. I would love to see maybe something else kind of popping up. Uh, well, mm. in the interim, nobody disturb my zen. If you see me on there, you know going toward a cocktail <laughs> in between. <laughs> I want to thank you both yeah. for joining me. <laughs> Always great to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Seth Daniel is a senior reporter for the Independent News Group, and Mike Dean is a statehouse reporter for WGBH News. Coming up, Boston's best lobster roll, a healthy snack with an aromatic twist, and forget wine in a box, we're talking about wine in a tube. Our food and wine experts are here to tell us more about this summer's culinary trends. That's up next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley.